0: Welcome everybody to another edition of the Pediatric Moonshot podcast. Today, we're uh, really pleased to have two guests. First time we've ever had two guests on the podcast. So Christine Woods and her son Hampton Woods are joining us today. Uh, I'm doing just a brief introduction of both of you. So Christine, who uh, we met at a TAG meeting in Atlanta, what, about a month ago, right? About a month ago, yes. She has had a decade-long experience in as an EMR consultant and advisor, so she has uh, a lot of experience in the world of healthcare from that point of view, and as you'll hear later from another point of view, Uh, her son Hampton, I think, is a senior. Is that right? At the Uh, University of Georgia, actually graduated in May. Okay, graduated May. I was off by a year. So uh, (laughs) go Bulldogs. (laughs)
1: no dogs are they
0: are they really gonna make it three times in a row is that what's gonna happen
1: i i i don't like i don't like uh saying anything about it um <laughs> i don't want to jinx it i guess but uh we'll see
0: we'll see it, it, it's increasingly likely <laughs> oh yeah it's ooh. yeah it gives yeah. me chills yeah <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so anyway, uh, a graduate of the University of Georgia, and also apparently he works as a registered behavior tech uh, technician at Children's of Atlanta. So uh, maybe there's a story there as well. But I'll I'll start with Christine. You came up to me and after that meeting, and you said, "Oh, this would make a difference in Hampton's life." So let maybe we'll just start the story there with Hampton's story, which. I think, starts before he can remember it starting. So maybe you can start us off.
2: And Definitely. Can, and, yeah. yeah, and it's it's apropos. Today is the 22nd anniversary of Hampton's liver transplant. Whoa. So Hampton's liver is 22 years old today, thanks to my sister-in-law, Heidi. My brother's wife, Heidi, donated a fourth of her liver Um, it was one of the world's, you know, first non-related living donor liver transplants. He had uh, idiopathic cirrhosis. We think from birth, we didn't find it till he was four months old, but at 11 months, he had a liver transplant at Children's Healthcare of of Atlanta here in Atlanta. We're very fortunate to live uh, near such really excellent care. Um, obviously the liver transplant was an excellent success. But a lifetime of immunosuppressive medications um, can lead to secondary complications that a lot of people are not familiar with. So, um, you know, some are relatively minor. He's had multiple root canals. I mean, I say minor. It wasn't my mouth. Um, <laughs> it's sort of a minor. Yeah, pretty minor. <laughs> um, but he's had uh, some other some other issues I can think of. A bike accident he had on mother's day when he was seven mother's day,
1: best uh, mother's day gift uh, ever. Gave yeah. It. best mother's yep. day
2: gift ever. And, um, but he broke his jaw and so he couldn't speak. And when we were, you know, trying to get him situated in the ER, um, you know, and our, my husband's trying to wrangle our three-year-old, his little sister at the time. Um, a nurse is trying to be very kind and, and wanting to make him comfortable and offering him Advil. He can't speak to say, I can't have ibuprofen. It would cause internal bleeding and interact with my medication. Um, so that that was something, an, an incident that really made a really deep and lasting mark on Hampton. Um, thankfully, we were able to keep that from happening, but it, it turned Hampton truly into an advocate got him interested in um, really learning to be a voice for himself and then eventually a voice for others. He got involved in pediatric research through the International Children's Advisory Network, which is how I met Leanne, who introduced me mm-hmm. to you. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, Hampton got involved in pediatric research that way, and we became involved as a family. Um So, you know, we were able to travel the world, speak at conferences. Um, So when Hampton developed another, um, well, it's a comorbidity that he was likely born with. But when you're on immunosuppressive medications, everything is made more complex. So Mm -hmm. when he was... um, 16, he was diagnosed with May Thurner syndrome.
1: 17.
2: 17, May Thurner syndrome. So I'll let you take that from here, Hampton.
1: So it was, ooh, I want to say, my junior year of high school. Um, I remember it clear as day. Uh, I was just getting back from a band concert with my school and I suddenly had shooting pain uh, through my left leg, and I couldn't walk up the stairs and had mm-hmm. to be rushed to the hospital. And that moment began about a year's journey of trying to figure out what was wrong wrong with me. Mm-hmm. Specialist after specialist, and uh, seemingly no end in sight for most of that time.
2: Yeah, he was in a wheelchair, he used a well, cane to walk.
1: When I could walk. Yeah. But um, uh, it wasn't until a orthopedist I was seeing at the time brought my chart to a conference. He just happened to bring it along with him at the time, and in Finland. In Finland. Um, wow, and he showed it to a random doctor that was walking by. Like, hey, I, you know, I just happened to bring this with me. Can you take a look at it? I need a second opinion. And it was only then that that doctor said, "Hey, you're looking in the completely wrong place here. You know, you've been looking where the pain is, which was four inches above the knee, all the way down through the, through the toes. We need need to be looking at the pelvis for May Thurner's syndrome." Which, uh, according to the doctors who I was referred to by the orthopedist, is actually much more common than we currently uh, realize and is often diagnosed post-mortem.
2: So essentially, he was very close to dying again. (laughs) <laughs> multiple, times. Um, multiple times. He was very close to dying again, this time from a blood clot because that's what it causes. It was slowly wow. constricting his blood flow. And we are incredibly grateful that he was able to have a physician that was, you know, saying, you know, I'll just I'm going to this rare disease conference. I'll I'll take his chart. It was happenstance. That saved his life, that uh, orthopedist, because we thought it could be a vascular problem. So we saw vascular physicians. We thought it could be yeah. a bone problem, a muscle problem. We saw rheumatology. We saw everybody. This is a kid who's heavily involved in pediatric research, who's had specialized care his entire life, and nobody could figure it out. Mm. Um, but where the pediatric moonshot really gets me so excited is we are grateful that Hampton was able to get the care that he received in time. But imagine if that doctor in Finland had had instant access to Hampton's medical records and his imaging. That doctor contacted our family from Finland and said, you need to get very quickly, a CT of Hampton's pelvis within an hour, we were doing that. And the next day he was able to have stents placed, um, that it was, it was a kind of a long road to recovery, but it, it was the beginning of the recovery and made us feel safe. Mm-hmm. Um, and it really was an echo of when he was an infant and we were trying to figure out what was wrong with him. He had reflux. He cried a lot. You know, he was a good eater. He was big, big baby, eight pounds, big baby. Um, we couldn't found, figure out what was wrong, but the, the imaging that I would take, the film, mm-hmm. the enormous film, you know, 22 years ago, 23 years ago now almost, um, from from doctor to doctor, specialist to specialist, it took us six specialists to find somebody who would do a CAT scan guided biopsy of Hampton's liver, and, um, to to save his life and you know it again if we had had access to that kind of imaging that kind of image sharing that kind of infrastructure you know maybe he wouldn't have had to have waited till he was 11 months old we were told that if he and again he was a big boy he had the rib cage of a 3 year old <laughs> that that saved him that his giant rib cage if he hadn't been so large Mm. Um, He would have had a heart attack or a stroke before he could be transplanted. Wow. Um, As it was, um, we had to do a CAT scan guided biopsy because they were tumors all over his liver. Um, So many tumors, numerous. Um, So we had to find a way to get him on the registry for a liver transplant. But then he was deemed too healthy because they took healthy tissue in the biopsy so our, his only chance was, um, because we weren't going to get a cadaver, um, was to do a living donor. And um, fortunately, my brother's wife, not related, was a match. Um, mm-hmm. And she's doing well. We named our daughter Heidi after her. Uh, but, it, nice. it, you know, for both of us, it's been an arduous journey, you know, the medications that Hampton is on are life-saving, but just present with multiple complications. We are fortunate to have access to the care that we have and to have the education that we have. Um, But all the knowledge, education and access to local physicians doesn't do you any good. If the world specialist is in Finland Yeah. or if, you know when hampton needed a transplant the best guy happened to have just relocated to atlanta from seattle um what if he hadn't relocated hmm you know and
0: you know you, as you commented to me you know you guys have access and means what about there's a kid in georgia right now who does not have right yeah and access, we've met nor those mean. families
2: yeah when when the, we've met those families through our experiences volunteering and when a child becomes so sick that the transplant is okay, they have to have a transplant, you know, within the next few days or they will die. That child's outcome is not as good. We were able to bring Hampton into a transplant as healthy as humanly possible. We put it off two days because he had a cold. We were able to, Um, so this is invaluable. This is um, patient equity at its finest, I feel.
0: Yeah. And Christine, I don't want to gloss over. You know, you uh, you went through your own challenges. Uh, yes. I think fairly recently. So maybe you could just keep talking about you know sure. <laughs> what what difference it could have made or it might make in the future if we had really a, the infrastructure we're talking about right. building
2: absolutely i was minding my own business in 2019 yeah four or five years ago. yes minding my own business uh getting hampton ready to go to college and getting our daughter ready to go to high school exciting times and i thought what i had was appendicitis so i sent my husband off to college orientation with hampton I said i'll be fine it's appendicitis my parents are on the way to stay with heidi our daughter Please, it's appendicitis. Uh. Friends, it was not appendicitis. <laughs> when they cut into me, it was a very vascular tumor, and I bled out and died. Um, just just for a couple minutes. Um, but yeah, I not yeah. the first time. Yeah. Yeah. It wouldn't be the first time that I bled out and died. But anyway, I didn't know that. So I was really out of it. Um the physician, the surgeon that went back in, he stitched me up, he saved my life. It was wonderful. So grateful for him. He was a hospitalist. So he, by the time it was time for my checkups, he was not there. Um, I, Even though it at that point was not appendicitis, I still thought it was. I thought I was going to my six week checkup to get the AOK okay to go back to work and drive. I had lost a lot of blood, um, three-quarters of my blood, actually. So I was really, really, really tired. Um, didn't realize more tired than I should have been. Didn't realize that a lot of the changes I was seeing in myself were not just post-operative complications from losing a ton of blood, having to have reparative surgery. Um, so I went to that... Uh, Post-stop checkout with my best friend, because again I told my husband, I'm like, I'll be fine. You can go to work. <laughs> Sparing him. I, I feel like I spare yeah. him these things. Yeah. But um so the the physician says, um, so the cancer, oh, the look on my face. Did no one tell you you're gonna need more surgery? That was a tumor. You yeah. have something called a neuroendocrine malignant tumor, which of course is rare because that's what we do here. Yeah. But family motto, (laughs) motto, but did you die? (laughs) Um, So fortunately my, my best friend was there um, and it was a shock I didn't need. And again, it was really a moment of, First of all, me, I work in electronic medical records. I've helped my child navigate a condition so special that there are research projects just done on him. I miss this. You know, Mm -hmm. I'm really diligent about my health, as you can imagine. Mm -hmm. We miss this. If my imaging, if my pathology report had been able to be shared with the good heavens, even just myself, I could have seen it. It was really obvious. I immediately sent the pathologist, um, the, the pathology report to my dear friend, who's a surgeon. And she read through it. And she said, oh, Christine, they didn't even tell you it's stage three cancer. It's not even, yeah, you need surgery. Yeah. So then, you know, like, okay. So I take her with me everywhere, you know. And I went and I got two opinions here in Atlanta. Both were vastly different. And a surgeon, whom I greatly respect, who has helped friends of friends, said, you know, I'm going to be, I'm going to level with you. I have not successfully performed the kind of surgery that you need. This is very rare. Um, I recommend you you go to Dana Farber, City of Hope or MD Anderson. Mm -hmm. I went to MD Anderson, saw a guy who's doing research specifically on the type of cancer that I had with a CD-ROM because the physician I had seen could only give me images on a CD-ROM because they were on different (laughs) electronic medical (laughs) records. And so I traveled with my paper printouts of my records and my CD-ROM to Texas like it was 1995. And they had to redo my imaging because it wasn't clear. So again, I was very struck, even though I am not in need of pediatric services, it's my hope and my dream that the the kind of care that, that we can give, you know, integrative care that we can give our kids and the kind of integrative care I received at MD Anderson can can really be uh, augmented or really kind of pushed forward exponentially by something like the Pediatric Moonshot Project. Because, because of the delay in my care and the amount of blood that I had lost, I had to wait nine months to have my the rest of my tumor removed because, and I didn't know this, this was new to me, when you have that kind of trauma internally, uh, there's a very small window where they can go back in and perform more surgery. And I had missed that window because I had delayed care. Me, yeah, delayed. in the city of Atlanta, yeah. with excellent access to everything, with the resources that I have. Um, yeah. At that time, as the vice president of a pediatric research consortium, <laughs> I'm saying I I almost died again.
0: Yeah, yeah
2: again and the amount of scar tissue that my physician my wonderful gifted surgical oncologist was able to go in um you know he had to navigate around that scar tissue that had had time to form again if we had had that kind of instantaneous access to imaging that wouldn't have happened either darn it
1: yeah and again
2: outcome fantastic i am doing really well i go every six months um call it the worst vacation ever I get on the plane I go to the hotel I, I go I treat myself to like all manner of junk food um, and a spa visit <laughs> but um, so again our both of our outcomes are excellent. Yeah. Um, Hampton's the one of the longest survivors of his type of transplant. Um, he has been enabled by technology, by modern medicine, to now be a provider for kids with rare conditions. Um, yeah. He plans to go to medical school. Um, these technologies are saving the lives of people who are paying it forward, but not just the ki- the lives of the kids who are, who are able to pay it forward, but the lives of kids everywhere and this, is a step in the direction of making sure that every patient gets the same level of care and that we are saying as humanity, every life has value value. Every human deserves the dignity of excellent care. And to me, that's what this will do.
0: Wow. Christina, I was going to ask you some kind of a wrap up question. Not, I don't think I'm going to ask you anything that that kind of hit it on the head. Like, you know, I I was just had to say, well, why were you feeling so strongly about advocating for this pediatric moonshot? You know, as you said, you both have been lucky uh, and fortunate, but many are not or will not be right.
2: Yeah. We're, we're grateful. I'm glad you exist. It's awesome.
0: Well, Maybe I'll, I'll ask you a closing question, both of you. We 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 want people who are obviously not in the field, who are not pediatric specialists, not you know healthcare people, to listen to what we're talking about. And so, if you had Hampton one thing to say to them about why they should support the pediatric moonshot, what would you say? Well, I'd say it's a given that
1: this is going to save lives, but something that comes to mind to me is that this will also save a lot of kids from trauma. Um, you know, for cases like my mother, it's gonna be able to get them into that window for cases. Like me, it's going to prevent a year of debilitating pain for cases like My Good Friend. It's going to keep kids from having to tape their medical records to their chest during a life flight. Which is shocking that it had to be done in our modern era. And it's going to help close the gap in care that we might see even within our own cities.
0: Christine, I'll let you last word, what, what, what are you going to say to the community? Why, why should they care about this initiative?
2: If you are able to give this project has generational impact what can be built on top of the pediatric moonshot project we don't even know the sky's the limit amen we can build on top of what's already been done and who knows who will be saved by this will be the next nobel prize winner yeah who's going to be saved
0: Yeah.